Sooner Nation, welcome to the latest episode of the Oklahoma Drill for Sooner fans, OU Insider subscribers, um, Cincinnati, Ohio frequenters, fanatics, um, Dylan Gabriel enthusiasts, uh, anybody else that fits into that category? My name is Jesse Crittenden, and of course, I am alongside my co-host, Brian Clinton. Brian, sir, it is Wednesday at 12.45 p.m. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You forgot to throw in our biggest our, our biggest audience. The, we got Jesse, the Jesse Crittenden groupies that are out there that, that just have to <laughs> have to check in, man. <laughs> well, well, look, my groupies, they know where to find me. Okay. My fans, my adoring fans, and I have thousands of them. <laughs> they know how to find me. I know who you are. Uh, but I'm I appreciate you giving them a shout out. Uh Brian, we are here to this is episode three of the Oklahoma Drill. And we are here to talk a little bit about, we're going to recap just for a little bit about OU Tulsa. OU won that game 66-17. to We're going to talk a little bit about things that have happened throughout the week from the press conferences, media availabilities, player interviews, all those fun things. We'll talk about OU's game with Cincinnati this weekend to kick off Big 12 play. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the Big 12. But first, let's uh, we're going to start with our first segment. Uh, again, these segments, we're trying to figure them out, folks. We're trying to figure out the names for these. Uh, if anybody has any suggestions for any of these segment names, throw them in the comments uh, on our YouTube video. Uh, we're going to go with Wednesday wrap up where we talk about the previous week's game. Brian, as I mentioned earlier, oh, you won that game 66 to 17. You were on the field did some really cool video stuff um, for subscribers at OU Insider and on our OU Insider YouTube channel. But Brian, what was your overall takeaway from that 49 point win? I really, I was really impressed with Dylan Gabriel again. Um, I think that's been my biggest takeaway from, from he was just, he was aggressive downfield. The one interception that he threw, he was being hit as, as he let the ball go, but He's been just so efficient. I, I didn't realize that he was second in the country behind Caleb Williams in passing efficiency this year right now. He's been fantastic, and he just added again to uh, what he's done. So the offense looks really, really good through the air. Um, the running game still concerns me a bit, and I think it's probably just a matter of getting some of the running backs going. But, I, I mean, you can't really have too many you can't really have too many complaints. They had five interceptions. They held Tulsa to 17 points and and they outscored them by, as you said, almost 50 points. So uh really good win for the Sooners. Uh, I'm excited to, to put the narrative that they haven't played anybody behind them though. Uh, even though I believe SMU is a really good football team. I'm ready for big 12 play. Yeah, no, absolutely. Just to give, uh, just to give a few more stats on how good Dylan Gabriel has been. I mean, leads the country in completion percentage at uh, nearly 83, completing eight, nearly 83% of his passes. 
I mean, he's been, he's just simply been spectacular. He leads the big 12. Uh, You mentioned he's second in passing efficiency nationally. Obviously he's first um, in the big 12. Um, I think he's sixth in the country nationally in yards per attempt. Um, I mean, to have a 12 touchdown to one interception ratio, Dylan Gabriel simply been incredible and it really doesn't matter um, it doesn't matter the quality of the of the opponents, especially if you're looking. I'm, I'm not, okay. Sorry, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. But doing this against any opponents is really impressive. I mean, look at the across the the rest of the college football landscape. Look at other Power Five quarterbacks. There just aren't very many guys right now that are doing what Dylan Gabriel has done. And it's there's not a ton of teams out there that have played stiffer competition than Oklahoma. And if you look at last year, where Dylan Gabriel was good in in non conference play, but just wasn't playing at this level Ryan, you mentioned the running backs we'll talk about that a little bit later that is something i definitely want to get to um but to to finish kind of recapping that game the defense had five interceptions a couple of lapses in coverage that led to tulsa touchdowns but otherwise hard to complain too much i mean held tulsa to 217 passing yards uh 75 rushing yards overall sorry that's an appearance from my my brother's cat here He's, he's very very curious um, 75 rushing yards. OU's rushing defense again has just been spectacular through three weeks. Brian, what what stood out to you about the defense as a whole? Uh, Danny Stutzman's a freak. Um, is the first thing. Uh, he's he's well on his way to being a uh, being on that Big Twelve ballot. Although he didn't make the cut on the preseason, which I still is inexplicable to me. But uh, it is. I, I I I'm really impressed with just. Again, how how prepared, I guess, would be the best word that, that the defense looks. I mean, outside of that, uh, outside of those two drives, Oklahoma looked really good from beginning to end in this game again, uh, defensively. And, you know, you had Justin Harrington out uh, and you had Desan McCullough, who we thought was going to play. Um, he was in warmups and, and all that, and he ended up not going. Uh, so you had some other guys step in. And it, it just that competitive depth showed up again. Like it, it just shows that they've got some guys in the waiting that that can do things uh, like Brent wants them to. And and I, I think what what you have to take away from that is, you know, attrition is going to strike. It happens to every team in the country. And, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved for the better teams that, you know, you stay healthy when you can. But if you don't, do you have the depth to back it up? And I think Oklahoma is showing that they have some depth. Uh, at least to back up their their key positions. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned that cheetah position with Harrington and, and McCullough. I mean, with both of them out, who stepped in uh, at the cheetah position for Oklahoma? It's Peyton Bowen. It's true freshman Peyton Bowen who uh, you know had a couple of had a couple of freshman mistakes, I think, but otherwise playing the cheetah position in Brent Venables' defense, it's just really hard to do. Um, but he he played a ton of snaps there through through three weeks. Brian Peyton Bowen is sixth on the team in snaps. I mean, I was saying during the preseason, I thought he was going to have a huge role. I don't even know if I expected quite this level this early, this early. Um, so I think he's just been really impressive. And yeah, you mentioned Danny Sutsman there, 30 tackles um, through three weeks, leads the team. I believe in tackles for loss, uh, four and a half. He's, he really has just, he's taken his game to another level. Um, so, but we've, we've hit on a couple of things there, Brian, that I think we need to, we need to, to kind of touch on uh, in this next segment. That's uh, again, tentatively called what's happening now by week five. It's just like, it's just like 
college football teams, right? Yeah. This is the Oklahoma drill, like college football teams, you got to find a groove. We're still working out the offensive line issues. We like <laughs> this is just just part of it. <laughs> That's right. And unfortunately, I am not nearly as efficient right now as a quarterback of this podcast as Dylan Gabriel has been on the field. But you can't you can't hold that too much against me. Brian, this this week's uh, you know these press conferences and and player uh, interviews have been pretty interesting. Um, I think the first thing to talk about you touched about it you touched on it earlier is the running back situation, and I think we talked about this last week, but it is continuing to be really interesting. It's not about sounding the alarm, but it's it is really interesting. And I asked Jeff Levy on Monday. Now that we're in conference play. What what is that room? How does it shake out? Because I think the main balance here that they're trying to find is riding the hot hand, which is what Jeff Levy said going into week one, while also trying to get everybody opportunities on the field. And why it's so interesting interesting is that Tulsa game, Toby Walker had been your best running back through two weeks. He sees six snaps on Saturday. Didn't see a carry. I think Marcus Major saw five snaps. Didn't see a carry. Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck got all the work. I think OU fans were looking forward to that. Uh, Javante Barnes had a couple of decent runs, but, you know, I think otherwise the two of them, you know, there hasn't really been a rhythm there. OU's averaging 4.3 yards per carry through three weeks, which is good. But last year they were averaging, they averaged 5.5 yards per carry in non-conference play. That is a significant difference. And again, when you're looking at trying to get these four guys involved and how do you get them all involved while establishing a rhythm, there just doesn't look to be any rhythm in that running back room right now, Brian. Yeah. And I think part of it, I I, I don't remember if it was the answer to your question or somebody else's, but Lebby mentioned that those guys are still getting up to speed. They're still getting up to game speed. And, and I think there's probably some truth to that um, with, with Barnes and Sawchuck. Um, but, but the hot hand comment, like you just said from the beginning, it, it just, it didn't seem that that was the case. Uh, it kind of seems like this team knows that they're going to have to turn to, to Sawchuck and, and Barnes at some point, because those are your, those are your home run hitters. Those are your guys that, that have that extra step. And I, and I think Marcus major to an extent has that as well, but he's had such an extensive uh, injury history that, you know, you, you just have to be prepared for him not to be there down the stretch. So um, I'm interested to see how they handle some of this stuff as the playbook continues to open up. Obviously things have been very vanilla. We've talked about that. Uh, we've pretty much beaten the horse dead on that or on the boards. And, and I, I think that at some point you have to quit using that as, as the, as the excuse or as the explanation. And I think that's now you're about to face a really good defensive line, a uh, very good defensive team uh, in Cincinnati. And, and I think that with, with everything on the table now with big 12 play starting and with, with that big 12 record starting, on the road, now is the time to see uh, some more consistency out of that running back room. And here's that other, to kind of add to that, Brian, the other dilemma here too, I think, is is that Dylan Gabriel's slinging the ball around right now. And when you go go into this weekend at Cincinnati, like you mentioned, that Cincinnati front seven is pretty good. Um, They have 10 sacks on the year. I think they're top 25 in tackles for loss. Um, But they're vulnerable through the air. And Dylan Gabriel has been slinging the ball around, but Jeff Levy's offenses historically run the ball a lot. I mean, last year, OU 
ran the ball 56% of the time, I believe. So again, running more than they pass. So where, where is that? Is there going to be friction there where Dylan Gabriel, maybe, maybe you should rely on that passing game a little bit more, but the more you rely on that passing game, the less opportunities there are for the running back room to find a rhythm. Plus, I agree with you. I think Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes are the two best running backs on this team. However, they neither of them have found a groove. Tawi Walker looked really good the first two weeks. I just, again, it's not about concern. It's not about saying, oh my gosh, this is a horrible problem. But I do think it is kind of an interesting thing to look at. And that's what makes this weekend really interesting because, you know, they came out against Tulsa 22 passing attempts to 13 rushing attempts by halftime. They put the ball in Dylan Gabriel's hands, but they need to find, are they going to do that this weekend? But they also need to find a, a rhythm in that backfield. So it's, it's a weird dynamic. It's an, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, the other thing, Brian, I mean, you mentioned there uh, kind of the, the, um, the front seven of Cincinnati, you know, Brent Venables talked about it in his press conference on Tuesday, that this is going to be a battle of the line of scrimmage. And I really think that means both ways, because you look at OU's rushing defense, which has been fantastic through three weeks, top 15 nationally in rushing defense. This Cincinnati offense is top 10 in, in, uh, in rushing offense. And even on the flip side of it, OU's offensive lines only given up one sack this year. But again, that Cincinnati defensive front, they have 10 sacks on the year. So all that being said, we'll talk a little bit more about Cincinnati. But when you take all of that into context, this offensive line group, again, through three weeks has been uh, not not a not a not a source of concern necessarily. But it does. It doesn't. It does it feel like they're really they're still trying to figure things out on that offensive line. It's definitely a point of contention for the fan base. Um, and, and I think what the reason why is when you look at what Oklahoma's done in the past, whenever they've been really good offensively, it's been because they can bully you up front and, and, and run the football down your throat as much as they want. They can just call the same play over and over again. Uh, and you can't stop it because you're that good up front. And I do think that this, this unit has the potential to be that um, they've, they've been a little bit um, inconsistent. You've had some guys like Savion bird struggle at times, um, you know, and you've got some guys like Troy Everett that are, that are coming in behind him and Caden green um, that are coming in behind him and, and helping level things out. But I really do think a lot of it just has to do with you haven't, my dad always used to say, we don't know what the offensive line looks like until the Texas game. That's always, and that I think that's the truth because it does seem like as the season progresses, Bill Bean DeBose's group gets better. And that's been the case since he's been at Oklahoma. So um, I would say, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it concern. Obviously, they've kept Dylan Gabriel really, really uh, clean. And that kind of goes into, you know, I saw this stat on PFF. Dylan Gabriel's completion percentage when he's under pressure this year is 83.3%. Last year, for a total, it was 34.5%. So if, wow. if that's... I didn't see that. If that is because of his confidence in the offensive line if that's just because he's seeing things better either way the offense has been really efficient passing the ball and i think that the offensive line does deserve some credit for that because they've been able to keep him clean yeah that's man that's a really good stat i'm glad you threw that in there that is just a monstrous difference in in throwing under pressure now obviously we've still got a lot of the season left to go but mm -hmm. again Three weeks is a decent sample size. It doesn't really matter what your competition is. It's a, it's a decent sample size. Yeah, 25% yeah. of the season's over. So Yeah, yeah. So 
Uh, I think the other thing that's that's noteworthy to mention when you look at the defense, you know, Brent Venables talked about um, talked about injury gave injury updates, kind of, um, kind of, uh, on Tuesday. Basically, said he was hopeful for guys like uh, Savion Bird and R. Mason Thomas and Josiah Wagner. Uh, OU is going to get uh, Desan McCullough back. Um, on Saturday, but it's, you know, Reggie Pearson is hopeful, you know, is he going to be available on Saturday? Uh, DeSamacola will be back, but Justin Harrington, Brian, there's a lot of stuff out there right now, but I can tell you the, the summation of all of it, it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good at all. So when you're starting conference play, I think that's tough, particularly for that cheetah position. Um, what does OU do here? If, if you've got, you know, going into this weekend, you don't have Justin Harrington. You may not have Reggie Pearson, which makes it tough because Peyton Bowen might be the guy you would slide in um, at either safety or cheetah. But now you don't have Reggie Pearson too. Are are those injury concerns, or are those potential injuries, those potential you know inactive players, are, are those concerns at all? I think Peyton Bowen puts a huge bandaid on a lot of that stuff, just because he's been able to play that position so well. But I, I do think that if there was a good time to have when, when there's never a good time to have an injury, but if there's a good time to get to McCullough back, it's this week because Cincinnati is going to try and run the football uh, they have a, they, they run the pistol offense. So there's a lot of guys in the box. Uh, they're using H backs and, and tight ends to try and block and set up and using motions and things like that. So having a guy that's played football, uh, obviously is going to help. And, and McCullough did that last year as a true freshman and played really good football. But I think having somebody that's physical can help with the run. Having him back is going to be huge. You're going to miss, you're going to miss Justin Harrington. Um, he, he just, when, when Brent Venables comes out in the pre preseason and says that somebody's going to be a star, like you take that to heart. He's, he was, he was going to be, he was going to have a special year. And, you know, whether he's out for just a couple more weeks or the, or the remainder of the year, we don't know. But like you said, it doesn't sound good. But for now, having a guy like Desan McCullough back, uh, having Peyton Bowen and then obviously Reggie Pearson, uh, having that depth at safety really helps you because it, it helps you kind of bring those guys down in, in, into that cheetah position uh, for passing downs. And, and certainly I think you can make it work. So uh, in summation, it's, it's, it's not a good thing that you're missing Harrington, but it does appear that you have some depth there to make it work. Yeah, and either way, I do think, you know, if if this is a game OU should win, you know, this is a prime opportunity in Big 12 play for young guys to get a lot of reps. If You know, obviously Peyton Bowen, the most obvious example, but, if you know, maybe Sammy Obasigo gets some time at Cheetah. If Josiah Wagner can come back, I bet we'll see a lot of him at safety. You know, guys like Makari Vickers, um, you know, and even, you know, some other guys at linebacker, we've seen like Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie. If everyone's having to shift around a little bit, what better opportunity for some real reps, like going on the road to Cincinnati, a place you don't, you're not very familiar with to open conference play. I mean, that's, that's about as high stakes as you can hope to have this early in the season for some young guys. Um, so with that, Brian, we've touched on it a little bit here, but let's go ahead and move on to our next segment here called Saturday synopsis. I like that one. Yeah, I'm not saying you can't talk me yeah, out no, of it, but I, that, that one sticks. I like that one too. That's okay. One. okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I'm glad. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, where we're going to talk, we're going to preview 
a little bit of the this OU Cincinnati game to kick off conference play. It's at Saturday at 11 a.m. It's going to be on Fox Sports. Uh, Fox Sports noon kickoff uh, is going to be there. Should be pretty fun. Cincinnati's first uh, conference game uh, as a Big 12 member. All of it's pretty fun. Uh, I think OU is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite, which seems about right, but still you're going on the road. You know, you, I don't think you can take anything for granted, but it's still the, the the betting people are expecting OU to to win pretty handedly. Brian, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll pose this question to you. Give me give me the position group on offense you're looking at the most, and the position group on defense you're looking at the most. So, I'm gonna I'm just gonna say the backfield. I'm gonna call it the backfield for for the offense. Uh, that's because Emory Jones. So obviously he's your starter there at quarterback. Um, he's a great athlete. Uh, he, he has been, he's bounced around. Uh, we saw him obviously play against Oklahoma as a young, as a youngster in the, uh, in the cotton bowl. Uh, and he, and he looked good, um, obviously young at that point, but, um, he is just, he's a great athlete. He's got a great arm. He can really move for his size. He's six, three and, and can still move really well, but, but they've got a good group of running backs as well. Corey Kiner's a starter there. Uh, Ryan Montgomery had a really big game this last season or this last week against Miami, Ohio in the loss. Um, but he looked good and, and they've, they've got some guys that they, they really trust, um, back there with the football. So that, that's a really good group for them. And then obviously I don't know where else you would look on the defensive side of the ball. If you weren't looking at the defensive line, um, I think this this is in the preseason. I, I I'm on record as saying Cincinnati would have the best defensive line in the Big 12 and one of the top 10 in the country, and I, I still stand by that. Uh, Don, uh, Corleone is Dante Corleone is they call him the Godfather, and he lives up to it. He I, he is he's a really really impressive specimen for for a defensive lineman. That's just the coolest last yeah. name I ever, know, isn't it? Right? It's just yeah. so cool. Love that. Oh man. So, You've got him in the middle. Uh, you've got Jawan Briggs on the edge, and he's he's another fantastic guy. They've got some really good players. Uh, Malik Van recorded a sack, a really good, just really good film uh, this last week. Uh, and so you've got some guys up front that that can go. And I think that Oklahoma's offensive line is going to have the biggest test of its season thus far. Um, those guys can can get after it. So be watching the backfield on the offense, and be watching the defensive line on defense. Yeah, that's I really like that. And I'll throw kind of to that point. I'm gonna throw this at you. Um, you know, as as Venables mentioned, it's gonna be kind of a battle um at the line of scrimmage. I mentioned this earlier. OU's been really good uh defending the run. Cincinnati's been really good running the ball. That seems like to me that's gonna be the battleground of can this OU rushing defense contain, as you mentioned, that backfield of Cincinnati. I mean, what do you expect? Is this a game where where OU can further, I mean, further establishes itself as not only a, very, a vastly improved defense, but a really good rush defense as well. Or do you think this this Cincinnati rushing offense can can give them some problems? I think he can give them some problems. Um, now, do I expect them to go for 240 yards? No, I, I don't. Uh, I think Oklahoma is is much better equipped this year to uh, to to take them on in that regard than they were this time last year. Uh, you've got the beef in on the inside, on the interior to help. Um, you've had really good play from the linebackers, and obviously your safeties are doing a good job playing playing the run and helping in that in that regard. So I, I think that, you know, it's going to help, but 
I can't help but believe that at some point Emory Jones is going to have some sort of uh, he's going to have some sort of impact in the running game. Um, he just will. That that's the kind of guy he is, and he's got a really good he's got really good vision when he's got the ball in his hands and makes the most of his carries. So I think that this is going to be a battle of, of uh, this is definitely going to be a battle of of strength and. If if Oklahoma goes into Cincinnati and and holds them say under 100 yards rushing, I mean that's it. That would be impressive. You could really um, mail it home if that was the case. I do think you could say that Oklahoma's rush defense is is very good. Um, that's going to be tough though because Cincinnati loves to run the football. This seems this seems like a it's got a Danny Stutzman. Like game, it just feels like a Danny yes. Stetson game. This feels like on the road at Cincinnati. You know what Cincinnati wants to do? They want to run the ball. Emory Jones wants to take off. I mean, he can throw the ball too, but he wants to take off and run. Obviously, the defensive line is going to be really important for OU too. But given the youth that OU may be relying on a little bit, this this feels like a Danny Stetson game. This feels like a come out you know, get 10 to 12 to 15 tackles, play a huge role in stopping the run. I mean, I think, I mean, they're going to need a big game from Danny Stutzman every week, mm-hmm. but um, I think, you know, the defensive line, the OU defensive line and the Cincinnati offensive line are going to be battling back and forth. I think it's going to be someone like Danny Stutzman that's going to have to really be the difference maker. And then OU offensively, I mean, is it, is it as simple as, well, give the ball to Dylan Gabriel and let him throw around on this Cincinnati secondary that's struggled a little bit through weeks? Or do you, do you maybe not double down, but do you say, hey, we need to get the run game going? Um, yeah, Cincinnati's a little bit better defending the run than they are the pass, but we need to get this run game going. We don't need to put everything in Dylan Gabriel's hands. I mean, what, I mean, what do you think? What's You've been studying the film. You've been looking at Cincinnati's defense. What do you think's the answer there? So I expect Cincinnati to to stack the box similarly to how SMU did uh, and what Tulsa tried to do as well. Um, but again, w- if you look at what happened last week, Cincinnati allowed receptions on 70% of, of Miami's uh, pass attempts. They had 17 targets. They allowed 12 receptions. The, the number that jumps out at me and and one that's probably got Andrew Anthony just licking his chops for this game is that Miami of Ohio averaged 19.8 yards per reception against Cincinnati last week. So Ooh, they were hitting that's a big, big number. Yeah, yes, they're hitting big. Uh, they were hitting big plays. And and also they had 95 yards after the catch, which, you know, Oklahoma had a really good number last week against Tulsa, but still. It just begs the question, you know, can Cincinnati run with those guys? I, I just, I don't know. The very first offensive play of this game for Miami was a 79-yard touchdown. So, again, I think there's going to be opportunities in the in the passing game, and it, and it may be a thing where Oklahoma comes out throw, or throwing the football, uh, and those safeties have to back off, and it opens up space in the running game. I mean, you know how this works just as well as I do. If you're if you're balanced and you're able to do both things, that's how you're going to find success. So I think Oklahoma may use the the pass to set up the run in this situation. Uh, I do expect them to open up things a little bit more in the running game. Um, but obviously, when you've got a guy that's completing almost 85% of his passes, you're going to let him throw the football. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's going to be interesting if if we come into this weekend and it's clear that OU comes out to throw the ball a lot. That doesn't mean they're going to do that every single no. game, but I do think it will be 
it will show a, a more willingness to air it out a little bit more than they showed last year. Now, the part of that is that you had Eric Gray, who had a, an incredible season. I think Dylan Gabriel's playing at a little bit of a better level this year than he was last year, but it should be interesting. And I think it's really good timing that, you know, at Tulsa, you had Nick Anderson, Angelil Farouk, and Andrew Anthony all finished with over 100 yards. I think we could see something similar in this game, Brian, if they put the ball in Dylan Gabriel's hands. I just don't think Cincinnati has anybody um, to guard those three guys, especially, I mean, any of those three guys, but especially Nick Anderson. Guys like Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, they're so tall and and lanky and athletic. I just don't think Cincinnati um, has anybody for those guys. Uh, Brian, all right, yeah, af- after having said all that, OU is a 14.5-point favorite. Give me your score prediction. Does OU cover? What's the final score? I'm I'm picking them to cover by half a point. I've got 38-23. Uh, I, think, I think the Sooners are going to not necessarily put on a scoring clinic um but i think that they're going to they're going to go into cincinnati and and stand the test of time in, uh, on the road which they didn't do very well last year they you know they were 1 and 3 in in true road games in big 12 play last year so i'm sure they've heard all about that uh, but I, I do expect oklahoma to to have success and i expect them to cover ever so slightly uh 38-23 sooners I like 38-23. I'm I'm a little similar. I I I think my final prediction when I write my 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 main preview call or my main preview article on Friday is going to be 35-17 OU. That seems that seems like a, but anywhere in that ballpark, high 30s to uh, you know, high teens, early 20s for Cincinnati, I think all that makes sense. But Brian, I think the reality of it too is the Big 12 is so weird right now. It's been so weird through 3 weeks. I mean, yeah, OU should win this game, but I think wins, any win you can get in the Big 12 just based on the last three weeks Mm -hmm. is going to be huge. These are games, if you can stack up wins like this and and get them in the bank, I think that's going to be big because, I mean, you look at the Big 12 standings right now, Brian, and I know you look at the the whole Big 12 um, for the work you do with with Heartland. Um, Weird right now, you got four teams that are one and two. You've got four teams that are two and one. Or actually, sorry, you've got five, five teams, teams yeah. that are two and one. Sorry, you got five teams that are two and one. Brian, through through three weeks, what's uh, how how are you seeing this Big Twelve landscape shake out to you? And is the path more clear than it's ever been for OU to to make a run to the to the conference title game? Oh man, um, you know, as much as as Big Twelve fans don't want to hear it, the two teams right now that look like they're out ahead of everybody else by quite a wide margin are the two teams that aren't going to be in the Big Twelve next year. Um, it, it kind of feels like Oklahoma and Texas are on a collision course. Now, this is you know we're three weeks in, so um, a lot can change. But uh, you know, BYU at three and zero, I still have my concerns. I don't. You know, I'm not particularly impressed with Keaton Slovis outside of his freshman year at at USC. I know that Jalen Daniels is going to keep Kansas scoring a lot of points as long as he can stay on the field, but their defense is atrocious. Um, UCF, John Rice Pumley's down. You know, don't know when he's going to come back. Timmy McLean looked really good for him last week, but, um, you know, we'll just just have to see on that one. And then you have this entire group of of teams that – you don't really know what to do with. I mean, did anybody expect Baylor to start the season one and two? Did anybody expect Texas Tech to start the season one and two? I mean, it, it's just been a weird, a weird thing. And then, you know, I look at this and, and I could say, you know, 
Houston, a lot of people think is the worst team in the Big 12, but you could make the argument that Oklahoma State's the worst team in the Big 12. And that, you haven't been able to say that really since the beginning of the Gundy era. Oklahoma State's been the second best team, most successful team yeah. in the Big 12 over the last 10 plus years. Correct. They just have been. And what I saw from them last week, I just, because I, I, I do watch all the other games whenever I get a chance. And they just didn't look like they even belonged on the field with South Alabama. And that's concerning. I mean, that's really concerning because South Alabama won 10 games last year. They had 18 starters back, but there is no world where they should be Oklahoma state on their own field. 30, 37. I just, again, so the, the big 12 is wide open outside of those top two spots for me right now. Uh, I think Kansas state's going to work themselves into that conversation, but you know, we'll just have to see how it goes, but I think it's OU Texas right down until further notice. Well, and if, if last year taught OU fans anything, Brian, it's that you can't put the, the cart before the horse. And OU was 3-0 last year and then immediately lost their first three uh, Big 12 games. But it does – I mean, the Big 12, the landscape just looked a, bit, a little bit different last year than it did this year. And I think if you're an OU fan, you're saying, hey, let's just get through games like this weekend. Again, no disrespect to Cincinnati, but mm-hmm. when you're a 15-point favorite, you have a chance to go get you know a, a good win on the road with the way the landscape is. You just got to go do it. If you're OU – and the, this is where the reality is again, not disrespecting Cincinnati, but if you're OU, you feel better. You feel confident that you're better on both sides of the ball than you were last year. You feel confident that you can go win a big 12 title. You feel confident you can have momentum going into the SEC games like this weekend are games you should win and win pretty comfortably. I, I just, I think that's the reality. If you're a, if you are truly a team that you feel can hang a banner, like Brent Venables has, has said a couple of times, you go win this game and you don't really leave much doubt. I think you should win by 14 or 15 points. So yeah, you've got to go win games like this. If you're going to win a conference. I agree. I agree. And with all that, Brian, that is going to put an end to the third episode of the Oklahoma drill. Um, Everybody out there knows you, they can catch us. You guys can catch us uh, on our YouTube channel at OU Insider. Uh, you can catch uh, Brian's writing. You can catch my writing. You can catch the great recruiting uh, writing and, and inside information from Brandon Drum and, and Parker Thune over at OUinsider.com. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, Brian and I are going to be here. Uh, releasing episodes every Thursday to talk about all things OU. So again, everybody out there, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in to another episode of the Oklahoma Drill, and we'll see you here next week.